The concept of being triggered is one that's thrown around a lot in the news media and particularly on social. I have a unique take on it. Basically, it's as follows. Although it's not your fault, it's on you to deal with it. To put that into context, if something triggers me, it's my responsibility to manage those triggers, not the responsibility of the person that is accidentally triggering me. In this episode, I break this down and discuss the nuance of this concept. And the reason it's important that you listen to it is because, in reality, if you suffer from triggers, if you suffer from PTSD, if you've been through childhood trauma, the world isn't going to change for you. That's just a simple, stark reality. So with that in mind, you have to learn how to best address and deal with the triggers that you're facing. This is something that myself and many other survivors are having to learn to deal with. So I break it down and talk about that and share that. So have a listen and check it out. I also share a chapter of my book, Under the Influence, Reclaiming My Childhood, which further suggests a history of trauma and triggers. And it will sort of, I use it as an example of how to, how to show you that everyone's triggers are different. And even people that know me won't be able to predict what will trigger me. And therefore, it's on me to learn about myself, to heal, to grow, and to communicate effectively. So check it out, listen, and enjoy. So this podcast episode might be a bit triggering. And the reason it's going to be triggering is because I'm going to talk about triggers and specifically my own and what I'm learning about them. And my approach or my breakdown of it might be triggering for some people because it might come against what you've been naturally thinking about them or it might sort of call into question some things. So first off the bat, before you judge what I'm about to say, you need to understand the nuance and you need to hear me out because it may come across a little bit insensitive at the start, but I promise you the resolution is gold. So the basic premise is, is I've been realizing more and more just how much of my triggers and my recovery and everything is on me. So to put it into context, I suffer from being triggered. It's the amount of triggers that I'm getting at the moment are growing. I think it's because I'm becoming less dissociated. In the past, I'd be doing a particular thing or doing something that I would now recognize as a trigger. And at the time, I would just dissociate away, just go blank, not really be there and just sort of switch off. However, now that I'm recovering, the, the layers of dissociation are sort of parting and that's causing me to sort of feel things more. So I'm feeling more vulnerable, more open to be being triggered by things and it's quite hard. Now, to, to, to sort of break some of these concepts down, the idea of dissociation is that it's a defense mechanism. You do something, something traumatic is happening to you or happens over a long period and your brain just sort of switches off. It helps to reduce the pain both emotionally and physically. That's great at the moment. And most people, they dissociate and then they sort of check back in. But if you faced extreme trauma or ongoing trauma over a period of time, you learn the defense mechanism of dissociativeness, dissociation. And it's basically like viewing the world through a lens sort of like you're detached from it it's it's feelings of unreality it's switching off it's daydreaming it's those sort of things 
Now, as you heal, as you start reintegrating, you start feeling more. And, you know, this dissociative layer blocks off the world. It blocks off things far more than is necessary because it's, it's, it's overactive because there was so much going on. So with all that in mind, I'm feeling more triggered. I'm feeling more vulnerable and open. Things are making me flash back. Now, let, let's just break down a trigger. Something happens in my environment, either external or internal, most often external, and it makes me remember the past. And it's not just like a, a single memory. It's often multiple memories all coming at once. So someone might be saying something and that reminds me of something else. And then this flood, this weight of the past, all happening at once, over and over and over and over and over again, all come and impact me. Now, this results in extreme feelings of emotionality, feeling angry, feeling depressed, feeling overwhelmed, feeling attacked, feeling scared, feeling vulnerable. <sighs> what I've realized is, with all of this, those feelings and dealing with those feelings are on me. It's on me to manage and deal with them. It's on me to avoid the situations that are triggering or to address the situation or to make changes. It's not on the people around me. I think there's a misnomer with a lot of people that are going through stuff that do get triggered and they sort of expect the world to change for them. This is the controversy. I don't think the world needs to change. In a sense. If I'm out in a public area and something in that public area triggers me, I don't think it's fair that I should lobby for the change of that public area to keep me safe. A couple of reasons. One, it's fine for everyone else. So who am I to I'll lobby for that change? Two, even if you made it safe for me, as in stopped my triggers in that moment, my triggers change over time. And what will trigger me won't trigger other people and vice versa. So there's this risk of watering down whitewashing society and everything in it to make everything a safe place. Now, on the other side of things is I am looking for support and help for those around me. So let's say I'm aware that I'm being triggered by something. My partner, my friends, my family are triggering me in some capacity. If I act out aggressively, or angrily, or, or with heightened emotions, repeatedly, it's, you know, it's not their fault that they triggered me. Let's just be clear. If they say or do something inadvertently, it's not their fault. So if I act out and lash out, that's actually on me, right? It's, 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 it's on me if I've been triggered to manage that. Now, in the moment, sometimes I can't help my response. But what I can do is over time look at myself and go, okay, well, clearly I was triggered there. It's to, to take action to prevent that and to let the people know what's going on. It sucks that I have to. I hate that I have to own this. I hate that I, due to things that happened in my past, have to deal with this shit. It's, just, it's, it's not fair. But nonetheless, it's on me. So what I'm starting to do is to say, hey, after the fact, apologizing, as in, I'm sorry that I reacted such a way, and this is why. It's due to past trauma. I also make sure to mention to the person that it's not their fault, right? If someone says something innocuous, and that triggers me, it's not their fault. They didn't mean it, right? Now, if I say that to them, and then they do it again, 
if they do it a few times, it's understandable. People are creatures of habits. But if I keep repeatedly saying it to them and they bring up those topics or talk about that or intentionally trigger me, now it's their fault. Now they're not treating me with respect. Now they're not helping me. Or if I'm like, hey, can we avoid these topics? Or at least, you know, let's, let's, if we need to talk about those topics, I might bail on the conversation at some stage because it's too much. If they don't respect those lines after I've told them, after I've specified to them, this is, hey, this is where I'm at. This is how I'm going. Then I can start judging them. Then I can start being like, no, this isn't actually, this isn't working for me. The thing that I'm, I'm aware of is that it's not on me to change society. You know, if, if I get triggered at my martial arts gym or at my workplace or somewhere else and it's not appropriate because given the context of that situation, i.e. a martial arts gym can be quite triggering for some people and it is at times for me. There have been times that I've had to leave the mats, I've had to take time off because given what I do, it's it's feels and looks very similar to certain kinds of trauma that I've dealt with. It's part of the reason why I train it, because it helps me to overcome that past issues. But sometimes with certain people and certain mind frames, and depends on where I'm at, it's triggering. Now, it's completely unreasonable for me to suggest that anything changes at the gym. I'm choosing to train there. I'm choosing to do what I do, and I'm grateful for the place and the way it's set up. So it would be unfair and unwise for me to change that. So what can I do in that situation? Well, when I recognize that I'm being triggered, I can take steps to avoid the place. And this isn't the gym, this is everything. If there's a certain shop, certain people, certain whatever, I can do things to avoid it. I can see psychologists to talk through. I can do introspection. I can be open and honest. I can share with the coach or whoever's there and say, hey, you know, I've got some stuff going on in my personal life, in my brain, I struggle. That may mean that I have to do this. I'm putting it back on me, is what I'm trying to say. I wrote a blog post, and I'll link it to you down the below, called The Hardest Truth of Childhood Trauma. I talked about it before. I'll link it. It's the most popular blog I've written. Basically, the, the hardest truth is that although you didn't ask for it, it's on you to manage it. It's on you to fix it. It's on you to heal. It's on you to grow. So although I don't ask to feel these triggers... Although it's not my fault that I have them, nonetheless, it's on me to heal from them. So now when I find myself being triggered or when after the fact I realize, I will say, hey, this is where I'm at. This is what I'm doing. This is what is impacting me. This is what you can do to help. And I make sure to let the other person know that it's not their fault, i.e. although you know their actions, quote unquote, caused me to feel this way, they didn't actually cause me to feel that way when you think about it they didn't cause it to happen they just said something innocuous they said they they mentioned a topic innocuously they brought up something without even thinking about it we went to a location or there was a sound or you know a certain smell or a taste or whatever it is it's no one's fault well it's the people who caused it to me in the first place's fault realistically it's not my fault it's not the people near me fault it's not the person who triggered me's fault it's not society's fault right it's hard. It's hard to deal with that. It's hard to put it on you, but it's on you to address it. So if you find yourself being triggered, speak openly and honestly. Potentially avoid the situation. Potentially speak up appropriately. But put it back on yourself, the healing aspect of it. If you find yourself getting angry at someone else for triggering you, unless they're doing it intentionally, 
You can't be angry at them. It doesn't serve any purpose. It won't fix the problem. If they're doing something to, 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 to trigger you on purpose, that's a different story. You cut that person. You cut that situation. You, you leave, right? But for the most part, people won't do it on purpose. They just will be ignorant of the fact. Most people are unaware of how they impact other people. Most people will, if you give people the benefit of the doubt, you can just look at most people as being nice, friendly, kind people. That until they know, until they know how they're impacting you, may accidentally be triggering you. So that's my thoughts on that. I'm really curious to see what you think about that and how you yourself handle triggers and if you put it onto yourself to manage it or if you push it back out to the world. Obviously, there's a lot of nuance and I could talk on this for ages, sort of really defining and breaking down this point. However, I think it's I think it's one to be to be discussed and I'm sort of still in the process of healing and discovering this process. So I'm going down that path. Now, there is a book chapter that I want to share with you. This one comes from my first book, Under the Influence Reclaiming My Childhood, and it relates to this concept of being triggered and past trauma and all that sort of stuff. So, like I say, every podcast, everything I do, everything I'm sharing is going to be put out there for free. It's paperback, ebooks, and audiobooks. It's out there for free. Over time, I'll be sharing it. However, if you want to own it now, you can grab yourself a copy. I'll put the link down below. This book is fairly triggering, um, given that it's basically was written as a act of writing therapy. I, 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 I wrote it down and got all the crap out onto the page. The reason I share it is because I know other people have lived with and dealt with and are going through this sort of stuff, and I figure that if I share my story openly and honestly, you guys might be able to connect to it and relate. So trigger warning on this because it's quite it's quite intense so if you want to switch off from the podcast now that's fine um for those of you that will thank you i appreciate it for those that you're sticking with it this chapter is called play it again daddy from under the influence reclaiming my childhood play it again daddy if you have children or younger siblings you'll know just how obsessive they can be when it comes to watching their favorite movies Often they'll want to watch the same show again and again to the exasperation of the rest of the family, relentlessly quoting their favourite lines and demanding that it's always on. For the most part, this is a win-win. This hypnotising program can serve as a well-deserved respite from the pressures of raising children. For a few precious hours, they are entertained and mum and dad can relax. They can get onto the project that they've been meaning to do, read the book, exercise, or have a long overdue adult conversation. Everyone is happy. Everyone except for the older sibling, that is. For the brother and sister that is old enough to experience, to hate the experience, but too young to play on their own or join into the, adult, the adults, this experience is hell. Being forced to watch the same program repeatedly every day is quite literally torture. It could even drive the most stoic special operations soldier insane. This is the story of how Disney's 1973 cartoon Robin Hood became a 90-minute living hell that I was forced to endure practically every day for a year. When I was around seven years old, Dad had quite a close relationship with two friends. They were a newly married couple with two young children, twins, roughly my brother's age at the time. They lived on a large block of mountainous land, with a small house at the top and a very long driveway leading down to a huge worker's shed in the valley at the bottom. Bordering on the shed was a line of fruit trees and a veggie garden that was fairly well curated. The shed contains a variety of work tools, land-moving equipment, tree-doctoring apparatus, and also acted as a storehouse for the remains of hobbies once 
um, long since forgotten. I remember spending a lot of time searching that shed and finding everything from punching bags to old wetsuits, cross-country skis, and even an assortment of dusty ballet gear. Being a carpenter, the owner was quite capable of ingenious home renovations and modifications. He was able to install a hidden doorway that looked to the untrained eye no different to the surrounding wall. However, when you pushed it in a certain place, it would pop a jar, allowing just enough space for one person to squeeze through into a completely hidden room. Inside this room was what basically amounted to an amateur grow house and a drug laboratory. With paraphernalia scattered throughout, small marijuana plants were growing under the care of UV lights. On the floor were random open bags of unlabeled chemicals next to stained red bedsheets. Odd pots and pans were haphazardly screwed across a workbench next to hospital gloves and masks. In the corner was what looked like an oxygen tank. Upon entry to this room, the smell was intense. Stale, dank, and uncirculated air combined with the stench of ammonia. It was overpowering, powering, heavy, and intense. Your eyes would start watering within minutes. Suffice to say, I did not go in there often. It took me years to realise that I'd casually discovered what was most likely a meth lab. Thankfully, I had the common sense not to share my discovery with my younger brother, or to play around with any of the contents inside. Who knows what could have happened. Since they all had similar interests, Dad became quite close to these two. After a while, it was proposed that they would excavate some land and build an extension to the house, which we were to move into once complete. This was not some stoned pipe dream either. At one stage, bulldozers were clearing the land and plans were drafted. I'm not sure of this complete situation. Who was planning for what? But at least for a while, they were all quite serious about the venture. So with increasing frequency, we would visit them, often for days at a time. They would get very high and leave the kids to their own devices. This once again put me into the situation of a pseudo-parental figure. I was forced to endure, ensure that everyone was safe, somewhat fed and out of danger. I could not rely on the adults for much help at all. If I did ask a question or inquire about something, it was met with the typical stoned drawl that had sadly become a second language to me. Asking for food was met with, Zach, it's fine. Just look in the fridge. There are some leftovers. Just have that. Upon closer inspection, the food in the fridge could more aptly be described as compost. Containers upon containers were filled with what was once edible food, now in varying degrees of decay. While to the nose, it was visually worse, laced with bluey-green splotches of mould that looked like white moss, forming a fresh outer covering. When looking down for food, I often imagined a haughty French waiter serving it to his customers at a fancy five-star restaurant in town. Thank you for choosing the fungal inn. For your dining pleasure tonight, can I recommend our specialty? It's a classic combination of hard-eaten Chinese food, aged three weeks to per perfection. The astute diner will notice the subtle aromas and textures that we are famous for. If so so desires, we can leave the dish unstirred, so we may personally mix the upper layers to satisfy his refined palate. This dish comes with an accompaniment of complimentary cold pizza crusts. For drinks, we have water served on tap into our pre-used coffee mugs. We find that residue adds a unique flavour that provides a, a unique counterpoint to the aromatic flavours of the main. If the dessert mood so strikes, please inform one of the waitstaff, and they'll be happy to bring out you a tablespoon of our famous aged brown sugar. Divine. You'll feel quite moved after this dish. You'll be utterly compelled to share and relive your dining experience for hours and days to come. Humour helps. Trust me. Often all I could scavenge was an assortment of condiments served on stale bread. If I was lucky, there was some fresh produce or fruit that I could grab from the garden. Suffice to say, we often went hungry. As with most drug-affected parents, the children are the ones that suffer. The twins, 
aged three to four years old, were no different. Constantly wearing dirty and stained and smelly tops, these children were clearly neglected, with perpetually full and unchanged diapers, grotty mouths, and lice in their hair, they were a mess. I'm not sure if I ever saw them eating anything, and given the situation, it wouldn't be surprised me if they were in a perpetual state of malnourishment. Compared to children their age, they were clearly behind in language development, speaking with pronounced lips and shockingly slow, low vocabularies. They were constantly demand attention from their mother and father, who were, of course, always stoned. So like all neglectful and drug-affected parents, they turned to the one babysitter they could trust most. One that was free and non-judgmental. Television. Think about it. It's an always available and ever-engaging, with, and with the right programming choices, it can even teach your children those high-minded morals that you would so desire them to embody in their adult lives. So there I was, sitting on the floor for what felt like the thousandth time, watching the same program again. Grainy and dull, it was considered well-dated by the time I was watching it. But unlike wine, this one just gets worse with age. Starts with a god-awful whistling tone, sounding like a homeless person's campfire ditty, crossed with the wailing of a bloated child, waiting to be burped after having soiled himself. Then a progression of anthropomorphized animals dance across the screen in a comical and colourful array of dress. From the rhinoceros donning pink tunics to the alligators holding flags and crudely drawn elephants all walking on their hind legs using their trunks as trumpets. The story itself is slow to get going and painful to watch, full of moralistic and pretentious do-gooder messages and embarrassing cliches. All of the characters' personality traits are one-dimensional and overplayed. They often sing or speak their inner thoughts out loud, which means the audience is made abundantly clear of their motives. Suffice to say, I was not amused. However, if I looked beside me, my brother and the twins were enthralled. How many times could they watch this and still be entertained? Sadly, it turned out that the answer was quite a lot. Doing the math, we probably watched it at least a hundred times. It was often played more than once per visit, and we would visit them at least once per week for two years. So considering, considering the routine that equates to over six and a half continuous days watching that cartoon. I want my time back. Hell, keep the time. I just want my sanity. I can't help but think of the twins. If we watched the movie that many times with them, the mind boggles at the thought of how many times they themselves watched it. To be fair, they enjoyed it, often wanting it to be replayed the instant it finished. So maybe it was an escape for them. God knows how little they were appreciated and looked after by their parents. But I wonder... What does that kind of intensive watching of a single show do to the developing mind? Would moral values and overt black and white diametric thinking projected by the show corrupt their minds? Perhaps they believe that the outside world literally consists of talking animals that are on a noble crusade to overthrow a tyrannical false king. Surely that much television can't be good for somebody that young, particularly with no variation of programming. Ultimately, the couple broke up and had to sell the land. When they moved away, we went and visited them a couple of times. And yes, we watched Robin Hood each time. Thankfully, these visits tapered off. I have no idea what happened to the twins. I half expect that one day I walk past a couple of people that are raving mad, incessantly whispering the, that godforsaken tune and repeating the words, Play it again, Daddy. Jokes aside, I just hope they survived. <sighs> so, that's that was a chapter from my book, under the influence reclaiming my childhood and if you'd like to read the whole book you can look back over the chapters that i've got up and available um or you can grab yourself a copy it's out now as a paperback ebook and audiobook so like i'm saying at the start of this and this this whole podcast my past is obviously very complex 
complex and lots of various issues. And there are a variety of triggers that will pop up and cause. And that story and the rest of the stories in in this book, Under the Influence, highlight that fact that there will be triggers that... Things that will trigger me that I don't even necessarily remember, right? A lot of this book, I was half remembering it and half just like, you know, discovering it. It was more was coming as I was writing it. And I know there's more that I haven't been aware of. And some things from my past will trigger me, some things won't. And it just sort of jumps out of the blue. So I share the book with you as a way to connect, as a way to help heal myself and help connect and heal other people. And I'm, like I said, I'm very curious to, to know how you manage triggers and if you put them back on yourself, because ultimately there's no one else that can heal or grow or in that sort of sense, it, it's on you. So for me, writing this book was one of the things that helped me to come to terms with my past. And, you know, I'm not suggesting that you write a book and share it with the world, but I am suggesting that if you have gone through something, you speak to a therapist, you introspect. And I personally have found that writing down my story, writing poetry, I've just released another book called Words on the Page, Killing My Inner Demons Through Poetry. I'm going to talk about that at another time, and that's about to be released. Um, The reason I write these things is because getting it down onto the paper is a way of getting it out and sort of discovering it and sort of looking at it and healing it from an adult's perspective. So I encourage you to do the same. The main thing I do encourage is, of course, is find yourself a good professional therapist and talk about it. And, and yeah, if you're liking what I'm doing here, uh, you want to connect with me, you can do so. So if this book has triggered something in you and you want to talk about it, please connect with me. You can find me on social media at Zach P. Phillips or via my website, Zachary-Phillips.com. And there you'll be able to see all of the stuff I'm doing. So if you want to talk what that story just brought up or your triggers or anything like that, comment wherever you see this let me know catch ya